weeks ago, Andy did some great teaching about prayer. And he pointed us to the model that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer. Really helpful stuff. If you missed it, you might want to go back and have a listen. But I also want to talk about prayer this morning. Um, but I want to talk about it through the lens of not just that, that, that short prayer that we have there, but through a whole book, through the book of Psalms. We're going to do a whole book of the Bible this morning together, people. Um, and the book of Psalms, it was often referred to as the prayer book of Israel. It's, um, and Jesus quotes the Psalms more than he quotes any other book of the Old Testament. He praised the Psalms. So it's another great model for us um, as we kind of think about how do we bring ourselves, how do we bring our prayers to God in all kinds of circumstances. So hopefully that will be a really helpful tool um, for you this morning. And more than anything, like where we're going, just to tell you that now, so if you want to zone out for a little bit, where we're going is basically what Psalm teaches us is to bring our whole selves to God. That's what we're going to be talking about. But before we get stuck into the Psalms itself, I thought it'd be good to take a step back and just have a little think about how we read the Bible, how we read any book of the Bible. What happens when we pick this book up? How do we come to it? How do we approach it? And the first, the thing that I want to draw out really is, although this looks like a book, it's actually a library, a very small um, library in that sense. It's a collection of books. And in this library, there's all kinds of different genres, all different types of books, which means that as we go to a different one, we need to approach it slightly differently. So if you walked into a library today, you'll see there's all different aisles and there's all the whole stuff where there's the non-fiction. Every single time I have to get this right, fact and fiction. Right, there's the, the fiction side of things. And even in the fiction, there might be um, science fiction, there might be horror, there might be romance, all different kinds. And then in the non-fiction, it's not just that's like one whole block, but there's history and philosophy and science and all the other things there. And you can't wander into one of those aisles thinking that you're getting history if you're actually getting science fiction. It changes the way that you read it. If you put Netflix on when you got home and thought, I'm just going to watch a really interesting documentary, and there's some great documentaries on Netflix, but by accident you clicked on rom-com, it would be really confusing. Like, what am I supposed to take from this? Is this fact or fiction? Now step away from that sort of notion of fact, and fact or fiction because this is truth. This is all truth, but it is written in different styles. Different books in here, some are history, some are wisdom, uh, there's the wisdom literature, there's letters, there's gospels, um, there is prophecy, and there's poetry. And like I said, it's really helpful if we kind of have in our head when we're approaching any book of the Bible, that we begin to think, what am I picking up? And it's not um, essential that you understand some of those things. I mean, one of the things I want to point you to, if you haven't already come across it, is a resource, um, there's a, a, a an organization called The Bible Project, and probably lots of you have come across that, but if you haven't, just Google. Um, there's millions of YouTube videos where one of the things they do brilliantly is they take each book of the Bible and just do like a five to 10 minute overview. Like what are some of the themes? Who wrote it? When did they write it? What else was going on? What are some of the key messages for us to take away? It's really helpful stuff. And um, I don't know how long you've had a phone 
and how you sort of probably feel quite familiar with your phone and you know what you're doing with your phone. And uh, I remember it wasn't so long ago. You know emojis. I find emojis very helpful because, you know, they give that sort of, ha-ha, I'm smiling right now rather than I'm cross right now. You know, it conveys what you can't. I remember when, before they brought out the little symbols or when the symbols would just start to be used. Do you remember those days where we still use, like, colon and then close bracket? And I remember one day Mike texted me and he was like, Ellie, why do my interns keep sending me colon and close bracket? And I was like, you really don't know. It's a smiley face. He was like, it's not a smiley face. I said, turn your phone on one side. It's a smiley face. And so maybe it was for him that the iPhone brought out actual emojis. And then I'm feeling quite smug because I can help this old man understand how to use his phone better. And then I watch my kids with their phones. And I'm like, oh, wait, how did you do that? How did you do that? And there's so much, you know, and I could just use this for phoning um, people. Actually, who phones? Only old people phone people anymore. But anyway, I could use it for phoning people. I could use it for texting messages, whatever. But there's always more. And it's in my hands. Why not get the most out of it? Even more so with the Bible. Just those little tools like the guys from the Bible Project that help us get the most out of what we've already got. And we can use it and enjoy it without those tools. But wouldn't we want to know a bit more? So, lots of different genres. When we come to the book of Psalms, which is what we're looking at today, we're looking at poetry. It's right in the middle of our Bibles. It's 150 chapters of heart truth from God's people to a God who loves to listen. And the thing about poetry is it paints pictures, it gives words to things that maybe we couldn't come up with on our own. It speaks on our behalf in a different way. It's like, it's still truth, but it's heart-to-heart truth. And it's like when you come across a great poem, it's like, gosh, I never would have known to have said it like that, but thank you for saying that for me. And I came across a poem about friendship the other day on social media. I'm not generally someone that that reads or enjoys or understands poetry, but I came across this brilliant poem about uh, friendship the other day from a guy called David Gate. And it's called, I'll be a doula for your dreams. And a doula is someone that you might bring in to sort of assist you and champion you in childbirth. So that gives you a little bit of an insight. So this is what he wrote. I will be a doula for your dreams, nursing your desire into being. I will be your publicist for free, a chief of propaganda at your side. I'll be your hype man on the mic. In unison, we'll sing the chorus lines together. For whatever you are building, I am building too. Whatever is your passion, I'll stoke the flame for you. You won't have to go it solo, for I will be your team. Your heart will be my heart. Your joy will be my joy. And I will be a doula for your dreams. And I flipping loved that. And I thought, yeah, with my, you know, with my closest friends, that's exactly how I want to be. That if God is doing something in their life, if there's something that's emerging in there or if, if from them, if there's something that they're wanting to see God do or to happen in the world, it might not be my thing. It probably won't be my thing and it won't be my passion, but I am going to be the doula for their dreams. I'm going to be the one that's like, breathe, you've got this, keep going, and I will keep championing them right to the end. And I read this poem, and it was a gift to me, 
Because not only did it say something that was already hidden somewhere in my heart, but it was like it gave my heart room to stretch into that and to enjoy that truth and to expand that. And that's what great poetry can do. That's what the book of Psalms does for us. It's not just poetry, it's prayer poetry or poetry prayer. And it gives our hearts uh, words that we, that we need and ways of painting truth that we're like, that's, that's how I would have said it if I knew I needed to. Or, and it, it also gives us room to grow into those truths and for our hearts to expand into them. And so when we go to the book of Psalms, what kind of poems do we find in there? Well, one of the most consistent things we'll find in the Psalms are prayers of praise. Praise is a theme throughout the whole of the book of Psalms. And in fact, it's no um, coincidence that the final Psalm, 150, starts with let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and it ends with that. Or it starts with praise the Lord, sorry. And it ends with let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And it is there at the end for a reason, because the book of Psalms is not written chronologically. It's not reflective of a time period. It was written over many years and by lots of different authors. And then it was pulled together and crafted and curated to tell us certain things. And so one of the things that we can enjoy when we look at the book of Psalms is the final chapter. And in fact, the final word is Praise the Lord. This is where we're headed. This is our goal. This is our destination. Not just in the world to come when we are with Jesus in heaven and we get to celebrate him forever. But this is our goal. This is our destination today. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was this kind of statement and summaries of beliefs that was put together in the 1600s in like the form of question and answer as a way of like passing on, this is what we believe, especially to newer Christians. But one of the questions that's raised in that is, what is man's chief end? And it was the 1600s, so they got away with just confining it to men. But we would say, what is humanity's chief end? And the answer is, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like, that's our chief end even beyond obedience in that sense. You know, even beyond, even beyond, even beyond, where we're headed is to glorify him, to praise him, to enjoy him forever. And where we're going is what we're called to today, to praise him. And so in the Psalms, you'll see that, and it's not just confined to like individual Psalms, but even in the Psalms that are full of lament and longing, and there's lots of those, we're gonna come on to those in a moment. Even interwoven into that, there is still these, uh, this call to praise. So an example might be Psalm 13, that begins very honestly, very raw, it's all honest, it's all raw. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And even that psalm ends with this. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. 
I will sing of the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And this is not toxic positivity. This is not like putting on a smile and saying, it's all great when it's not. It's acknowledging that in every season, we can praise God, even when it's on the bleakest days, because God is good and his love endures forever. He is faithful. He is consistent. He is kind. And so let's, let's praise, just be this, this stream that flows through the whole of our life, watering the dry ground. Let's let praise come out Similarly, but it's not the same, is adoration. And we see adoration in the Psalms. Um, and adoration, I think, often begins in praise, but it's almost like when you take down the tempo. Like, not just musically, though we might do that in our corporate or individual worship, but um, it's like moving from, like, the bigness of declarative... Declar I can't say that word. Anyway, declaration. And it's like... Adoration just takes a bit longer, and it's like a slowing down of the heartbeat to say, you aren't just this out there, but you're this for me. You're wonderful. This is who you are. I think Psalm 23, the most famous of all psalms, um, is a great example of this. You know, it begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. That's like fairly great factual truth, still in poetic language. I lack nothing, just say it like it is. But then it takes us on this journey. It's like you can almost hear the psalmist journey, you know, that he leads me and he guides me. And even in the darkest valley, you are with me. It's become very personal. You are with me. You restore me. You lay a table for me in the presence of my enemies. There's a sense that we have to take time to adore. And we see that in the Psalms. Something else we see in the Psalms is the telling and the retelling of who God is, of what he's done, of what he's made, and of his character. And it's like there's so much enjoyment to be had from just stating and celebrating this and telling each other, this is who God is and this is what he's done. So one of the great things about the book of Psalms is it's great for both corporate times together, and if you analyze some of the words that we sing on a Sunday, so many of them are drawn from the Psalms, but there's a corporate element to it as well as an individual, and there's something about this, um, when God has done something, it's like we have to pass it on, and that's part of the language that Psalm teaches us. I heard on the radio a, a DJ that uh, was talking about the day that his young daughter saw a rainbow for the first time. And for five hours, she couldn't stop talking about it. For five hours, she just kept going on and on to her dad about this rainbow in the sky. And something really struck me about that. And it's like, we see that in the Psalms. Of, I look at the heavens, and look, you made this. And the stars, you made that. And I look at the grass, and I look at the... And there's like this childlike telling and retelling and sharing, not just those big things like creation, also the stories of what God had done in his people. So in the Psalms, you see that picking up of, you led us out of Israel and you defeated our enemies and you've done this. And there's something about the sharing of that with each other that informs our own prayers. 
I love, I absolutely love hearing stories of what God is up to in your life. Like, not just the big ones. I, I, of course, we love to hear the stories of salvation. I didn't know Jesus, and I didn't know he loved me, and now I do. You know, I lo- we love those stories. Also, the smaller stories that are not, they're not insignificant when they're your story. And a friend um, was telling me just last week that she had some awful news, some really awful family news. And it was the sort of news that sort of stops you in your tracks. And um, she really needed to hear, she needed to hear God's encouragement in that. She was pretty broken by it. And the next day, she went into a meeting which was the sort of meeting where you might not expect this to happen, but at the end of the meeting, someone got up a bit quietly and just said, I could be wrong, but I think maybe God wants to speak to someone here. And they said, I saw a picture of a red post box, and I felt God was saying that someone here has received really bad news, and he wants to meet with you and encourage you. And that was my friend. Oh, really bad news about a family member, sorry. And... Um, And my friend knew it was for her. That was exactly what happened to her. And so she went and this lady prayed over her. And the first bit was the encouragement that God knew. Like she already knew that God knew, but that fresh revelation of he saw exactly the pain that she was in. And then just the sweetness of being in his presence while a sister, though she didn't know this woman, a sister prayed for her and just gave time for the Lord to meet with her and for her to, yeah, be at peace in his presence. And then she came and found me and told me that story. And there's something about the telling and the retelling and in her sharing it with me, what it did to my heart. And hopefully it's something about the me telling you that does something for your heart. And Psalm says, it shows us it's really good for us to tell and talk about the things that God is up to in big and small ways. And even in our prayer, it's really good for us to say, I remember God when you did this. I think about the way that you've been at work here. I recall to mind how you've acted like this in the past. When we get to Easter, like we can do this at any time of the year, but there's something precious about Easter where we say, I'm choosing to remember what you did, what you chose, what you went through, that I would know that I would know you, that I would know intimacy with the Father. So, Psalms teaches us to tell and to retell the story of who God is and what he's done. Another thing that we'll find in the Psalms is longing, like really raw longing. Like in the Psalm I read earlier, how long, O Lord, that we long for him to act to show up in a situation, that we long for him to do something and that we would see evidence of that doing. And also simply that we long for him. And one of the Psalms that I've come back to again and again this year is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. And You know, I said earlier about the thing about poetry is it often not only tells us our heart, but helps expand our heart. I had that experience again just this week of coming back to that psalm, and I chose it because I wanted those words. I wanted those words of, um, yeah, if there was one word that I would use 
so far for me in terms of my relationship with Jesus is just a longing to know him better, a longing for more intimacy with him. And so I'm going back to that, Lord, I'm longing for you. I'm, I desire you. I want more of you. And even as I sat in that psalm again, it was like I could feel that stretching of my heart, like just enlarging, making more room for him. We see these words of longing. We see a lot of lament, a lot of lament. In fact, there's more song, uh, psalms of lament than any other type in this book. And lament is literally like grief, tears. It's expressing sadness and sorrow before God. And there's loads of it. How long, O oh Lord, as I've already read, and I think it's just so beautiful that God included that. The book of Psalms, also Lamentations that Johnny read earlier, that literally just means tears, a book that's called Tears. It's like him, um, it, that we're to be under no doubt that God wants us to know that our tears belong with him. That our tears are not something that we need to push to one side, our grief and our sorrow. And as I said, it's an individual, it can be individual prayers that we pray, but also it could be corporate prayers. There are things that are causing you grief, and because I am your sister, there's a sense that I share in that with you, and then there's the stuff that's not even personal at all. It's we're looking at the world, our country, um, whatever that might be, we read the news, and something rises up in us, which is just, oh Lord, this is terrible. And do you know if you read something in the news and you have that response, that in itself is a prayer. That, oh, that is a prayer. Yes, you may come on to, God, would you do something? Would you intervene? Would you act? But even just the sorrow when it's directed to God is a, is a good prayer. Bringing our grief to him, bringing our, our lament to him. And I remember years ago when I first joined this church, Mike used to use a little phrase. I've, I've heard him use it since. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's an original pull of Archie. But he used to say, we can either turn away from God and get bitter, or we can turn to God and get better. And when I first heard him say that, I was quite young. And so I thought it was a little bit trite. I thought it was a bit like a little sweet phrase. Like, I almost felt a bit patronizing towards him. Of, oh, you thought that was profound, but that's just really sweet. <laughs> and now I'm 47, and I know it's profound. We can either turn to God and get better, or we turn away from God, and we will get bitter. And the prayers of lament in the Psalms just teach us, keep bringing that stuff to God. Keep bringing it before him. Okay, moving on. Prayers of repentance. Do you remember when we, when we did the Lord's Prayer, and we're probably familiar, lots of us were saying it, we get to that line that says, forgive us our sins. And it's just so healthy to keep prayers of repentance um, as a daily part of our prayer diet, our prayer life. And I think probably the most famous a psalm of repentance is Psalm 51, where David is confronted about his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of, of her husband. And where, I mean, go and read it, it's so beautiful. And it just, it starts off with, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And it goes on, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Later on, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. 
Later on, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Oh, like you can hear the weight of it, the weight of his sin. And as we come to that in our Psalms going, gosh, am I like engaging with the fact that I'm sinful? You know, that I don't, I don't look like he looks. I am not pure as he is pure. I'm not holy as he is holy. And a few weeks ago, I was on the M1, a long journey on the M1, and they had obviously gritted the day before. And you know how that kind of makes that dirt that, that is almost like sticky? <laughs> and I was driving up, and like literally every couple of minutes, I had to put on my windscreen wipers, clear the windscreen, and then I'd get a few, you know, a few meters, it felt like, of clarity, clear vision. And then it would be again, I'd have to clear it again until I could see clearly again and see clearly. Unfortunately now, the only bit of my car that is clean is the windscreen. Everything else is utterly filthy because I haven't cleaned it since. But it's just a great reminder of just how quickly sin just contaminates the way that we see God and our right standing before him. And because of the cross, how quickly too, we can just come and say, I'm sorry, God. Clean me. Restore me. Create something beautiful in me. Okay. The next thing we see in the book of Psalms is a lot of talk of enemies. A lot. And like, not just like, oh, my enemies are slightly annoying me, but like, God, would you like dash their heads against a rock? Would you trample them under your feet until their blood pours freely? Smash them over the head with a hammer? That kind of thing. You'll see it. And it's weird to us because... Well, we don't talk that way. <laughs> we might sometimes feel it, but we don't say it. We don't give voice to that. So what do we do when we come across a bit in the Bible that is just a bit uncomfortable for us? And you won't go more than a psalm or two before you find this kind of language speaking against enemies. And of course, it was a different culture when it was written and lots of warfare and um, David wrote a lot of the Psalms and he spent a whole section of his life on the run from his enemies. So what we could do is just go, all right, there's a whole bit of our Psalms that's about that, but it's not really relevant to me, um, so I'll just leave it to one side. Um, but all scripture is God-breathed and is useful and this book is a gift to us. Even, even those bits. So what do we make of it? Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we could do is just use it as is, you know. So Margaret and Bill's cat have pooed on your front lawn again, and you could literally be like, why, Lord, why has the cat pooed on my lawn again? Send down your judgment on Margaret and Bill. You know, send Rottweilers to smite the cat. You know, would Margaret and Bill know your wrath? We could do that, um, except that Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. So our, our battle is never with Bill and Margaret. And it's, however it might feel, our enemy is not a person, ever. And we need to hold on to that. But we do still have enemies, enemies of our soul. One uh, very real enemy is Satan himself, who comes to steal and kill and destroy, and who is the father of lies, and who loves to um, sow fear into our life and doubt and just rob us of joy. Well, smite that one, Lord. 
And then there's, there's other enemies that we encounter. Sometimes it's the sin I was just talking about that, st- that, that has got in the way. Sometimes my enemy might be a situation that I'm facing right now that, that just seems insurmountable. Your enemy is anything that might creep between you knowing perfect intimacy with Jesus. So you take that thing in your mind, like today my enemy is my stress. God, would you conquer that? Would you destroy that and bring me your peace? God, my enemy is this sin that I just can't seem to get freed from. God, would you smash it? I can't, I don't have the power to. Would you smash it? And that really follows on to loads of other psalms that you see is just this call to God for his intervention where the psalmist seems under no illusion that they've got what it takes. But it's like, I need you, God. I can't get myself out of this situation. And I think our default is we probably could get ourselves out of any situation given enough time to think it through or make a plan or whatever. And there's this readiness that we see in the psalms just to say, I can't do this. A great example is Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for God. It's like, save me. Step in. Deliver me. I can't do this. And I think I love the picture here. Again, this is, remember, it's poetry. It's like the waters are not just down here where it's a bit annoying or here where it's hindering me a bit. Like, they're here and I feel like I'm going to go under. You have moments like that. That's, let's pray the Psalms. God, help me. God, deliver me. We see the whole lot of human experience and human life in the book of Psalms. And the one theme in all of it is whatever it is, bring it to God. Whatever it is that you're uh, enjoying, celebrating, bring that to God. Tell him, I love that about you. I really enjoy this about what you made. I'm so grateful for my roast dinner. Whatever that might be. And the stuff that you are stumped by, the stuff that feels overwhelming, the stuff that doesn't seem to be shifting, bring it to God. What happens when we go to the book of Psalms is we can literally go, I don't know how to pray, but there's a psalm in here for me. So I could seek out a psalm that says what I need to express to God. Or I could take any psalm. And I could apply it to my own situation. I could put my own name there or my own situation in there. Or I could use it as a model where it's like, have I got a bit stuck in a rut praying the same kind of prayers? I think often we do get those little, those areas where it's like, oh, I've forgotten that that needed to be brought to you, God. And this will remind us to bring it all before him. Whatever it is that you face today, Bring it to God in prayer. And just as we finish, I've been, um, I've been thinking about an old hymn that I used to sing when I was younger. Lots of you will be familiar with it. What a friend we have in Jesus. I just want to read the words. What a friend we have in Jesus. All 
all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. Blessed Saviour, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory, bright, unclouded, there will, no need, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture praise and endless, endless worship will be our sweet portion there. And someone was telling me after the 9.15 that they were reading recently about Corrie ten Boom, who we've talked about before in this uh, church, amazing Christian in the Second World War, who ended up in a concentration camp for shielding, hiding Jews from the Nazis. And she was in solitary confinement at one point in her um, incarceration in Ravensbrück. And she's in this cell on her own for three months. And one night, just quietly in her cell, she just began to sing that hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And she finished the end of the first verse, carry everything to God in prayer, and she went quiet. And then from down the corridor, from another cell, another prisoner picked up the second verse. Have we trials and temptations? And they began to sing. I just thought that was so beautiful. Bring it to God in prayer. This sense that when we're here together, we get to do so much of this, the celebration, the reminding ourselves of who God is. And then we go back into life. And for those of you watching on the live stream, maybe there's a sense of, of confinement, of being separated from gathering in this way. But we're not alone. And this sense of like from down the corridor, I won't hear it, but there's your voice encouraging me, take it to the Lord in prayer. And there's your voice. And you're praying a song of lament and you're praying a song of longing and you're praying a song of celebration and a prayer of repentance. And we're joining our song together as the psalm teaches us. And it says in the Psalms, all my longings are laid bare before you. That's how we're meant to be living. All of our everything laid bare before him in prayer, turning to God in every season, turning to a father who loves you and who is waiting and willing to hear the cry of your heart. Amen. <laughs>